Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at class 16 of our 34 class jhana review. Uh, this is the second or part two of the Arya Parya Sama Sutta. Um, and you remember the beginning part where the Buddha encounters Alara Kalama, one of his uh, important teachers along the way to understanding. And he, he was, he, he was ulti ultimately disappointed with Alara Kalama's teaching because they culminated in the dimension of nothingness, which is a lot of modern Buddhism culminates in the dimension of nothingness. But the young Siddhartha was hoping to understand the nature of stress and suffering. He wasn't trying to do perform magic tricks on himself or live in a fantasy. So he understood even then that striving after uh, as a human being, the dimension of nothingness doesn't fit. The, the two things are incongruent. And in this, this part two, he comes across another um, well-known teacher, Udeka Ramaputta, um, who teaches basically the same thing. The Buddha's words, as I continued the noble search, I went to Udeka Ramaputta. Upon arrival, I told him, friend Udeka, I want to practice your dharma in this world and become your disciple. Udeka replied, you may stay. My dharma is such that an observant person can soon understand and integrate my knowledge and realize it for themselves through their own direct knowledge. So that's important, direct knowledge. And that's what the Buddha is after. He wants to understand what he's experiencing. From reciting, from reciting and repetition, I quickly learned his dharma. I could affirm that I knew his dharma. I thought that it is not through mere conviction that a Dekarama Putin declares that I understand and have integrated his dharma and realized it for myself through direct knowledge. Udeka Ramaputta certainly understands and, and has integrated his dharma, so he's authentic. So I went to Udeka and asked him, what is the culmination of your understanding and integration of this dharma? Udeka declared that the culmination of his dharma was in the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception, another fantasy. That was that dimension of neither perception or non-perception is something that the Garjana, that some of you may have come across, these um, really in, in, intense and crazy writings. But the Nagarjana was was big on this neither perception nor non-perception. You know, always asking these kind of questions that don't have an answer, which is just a nice way of distracting yourself. And thinking that you're doing something. But the Buddha understood that too. Then I thought, not only does Udeka Ramaputta have conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment, I also have con conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. What if I were to strive to realize for myself this Dharma through direct knowledge? I quickly developed understanding and fully integrated Udeka Ramaputta's Dharma. Having realized for myself the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception through direct knowledge, he understood it. 
He understood the grasping after. I then asked Udaka if this was a culmination of his understanding and integration. Udaka told me that this was the culmination of his understanding and integration of his dharma. He then said that it was a great, a great gain for his sangha to have a companion such as myself in their sangha. Remember, Alara Kalama asked him the same thing. He then asked me to lead the Sangha together. Udeka Ramaputta, my teacher, placed me on the same level as himself, paying me great honor. But I had the thought that this Dharma does not lead to, desert, to disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to stilling, to direct knowledge, to self-awakening, or to unbinding. Unbinding from what? Unbinding from views, ignorant of Four Noble Truths. This dharma only seeks to establish a reappearance in that dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. Again, a fantasy. Why would any human being want to establish a fantastic uh, situation for their life that has no possible bearing on humanity, on your own, your own direct knowledge? I found this dharma unsatisfactory, and so I left Dr. Rama Ramaputta and continued the noble search. Seeking the unexcelled peace arising from skillful understanding, I wandered through the Magadan country and arrived in Uravela. This place was delightful with inspiring forests, clear flowing river with shallow banks, and nearby villages for alms. This seemed just right for developing jhana. Friends, in parentheses, while practicing jhana, being subject to birth, to sickness, to aging, to death, to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair, to greed, to aversion, to delusion, I realized the unborn and the unexcelled release of the yoke, the unbinding. And that's a, that reference to unborn is also a reference to how the Buddha taught a karma and rebirth. That had nothing to do with what we're giving a future rebirth, to be mindful of what am I giving birth to in this moment. The unborn and the unexcelled release of the yoke, the unbinding. The yoke is always ignorance of four noble truths. Then the Buddha says, knowledge and vision arose in me. Unprovoked is my release. Meaning there's nothing left to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. Unprovoked is my release. This is the last birth. There is now no further becoming. Becoming what? Becoming further ignorant. Then I had the thought. This Dharma that I have attained is deep, hard to see, and hard to realize. This Dharma is, is peaceful, refined, and beyond mere conjecture. In reference to the other things that they have And is to be directly experienced by the wise. Right, nothing, excuse me. That reference to direct knowledge is so important because we don't take anything on faith. We take, we develop the Dhamma through conviction. That's two different things, right? So faith is just going to leave us confused and wondering why there's no salvation here. Conviction says, yes, I, I understand. I've taken true refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and his Sangha. And that's what I'll be doing. That's what we're practicing. Yes. I was going to ask if direct knowledge and empathy are sort of synonymous in the way that he's using direct knowledge here? Yeah, I would say direct knowledge is more of the I think it's the same thing. Okay. 
there's, there's, it's tough to distinguish the both. Anthrocyclo, you might see as a little bit more of a broad context, you know, come and see for yourself, but then it, that leads to, obviously, direct knowledge. And it's the same thing. Nothing on faith, everything is on conviction. That's why we emphasize, notice that you're having this experience. This is what you should see. The four levels of jhana, um, a, a common peaceful mind in this moment, or not. You know, if not, take a breath. Without Ephesico, you couldn't have direct knowledge. It would be handed to you, or you, yeah. would, you would see it in someone else and maybe try to recognize it. But Ephesico, you're seeing it for yourself. Yeah. And again, the Buddha used that word a million times in his teaching career because that was the only way to develop the Dhamma. Come and see it for yourself. Come and see it for yourself. Have a direct experience. Yeah. And I think everyone here, even though Raquel has just joined us, has had a, a direct experience in jhana with deepening your concentration and maybe even some fragments of the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. And thank you for bringing that up, too. That, so right from the beginning, if we're practicing the Buddha's Dhamma correctly, you will have direct knowledge and direct experiences of things changing. You'll have a direct experience of impermanence within your own mind which leads to letting go of all the things that you might have been intransigent about up until then. You realize this is a safe place to do this because we're going towards something. Like what are we going towards? A common, peaceful mind free of conflict, rooted in concentration. Great questions and I hope great answers. But the world delights in attachment, is excited by attachment, is devoted to attachment. And worships attachment. You know, look at the modern religions of Facebook and Twitter. I mean, we really do set those things up as our um, our religion. You know, our, our our take on reality. So it's gotten even more. Um, the world has become more distracted than it was during the Buddhist time. Obviously, and most of that has to do with technology and always grasping after. Um, using Twitter to, to tell the world about how your, your cat did something or something, you know, that this, this constant attachment to the outside world, the outside world, and always projecting yourself out there. But what are you projecting? You're projecting this fabricated image of yourself. And that is what causes stress. And it's just, it, it, when I think about how some of the most Modern technologies, Twitter, Facebook, even the internet, the way it's used, uh, and the other antisocial uh, media, if I can call it that, in this context, um, all of that has made our lives so much more distracting if we engage in it. Read the book Stolen Focus, because it hits you right between the eyes with what we do to ourselves, with constantly being stuck on our phone, constantly throwing ourselves out there. You know, the Dhamma tells us to establish a, a secluded spot and take that seclusion off your cushion out into the world, not to always be out there. Look what happened to me. I didn't have a good day or I had a great day. Up until I was 30 years old, there wasn't, there wasn't that, you know. Um, I wasn't part of the beginning of the Internet, but I was using something called CompuServe, which didn't have a graphical interface long before there was an internet. 
And that's really when technology began to be used for ever more distraction. And so the, the people that have made zillions of dollars uh, are the ones that first figured out how to distract us more. Right? Even the guys when they were developing Facebook, one of them, I can never remember his name, was concerned about releasing it because he said, we are going to take little children's minds away with this stuff. But they said, what the hell, let's do it anyway. And so they did, greater version and diluted thinking. For a world delighting in attachment, excited by attachment, devoted to attachment, worshiping attachment, conditioned towards self-identification from dependence on ignorance. The Dhamma is hard to see because we it's very hard for human beings to do something called change your mind. Because once we have a thought and a thought becomes us, now we have to defend that instead of realizing it's just hurtful to us. The awakened state is also hard to realize. The re awakened state of full human maturity is the resolution of all fabrications, which means following our fabrications to the point where we realize that's a fabrication and let it go. When your fabrication is painful enough, hopefully because of your Dhamma practice, you'll realize what exactly it is causing you so much stress. The resolution of all fabrications the relinquishment of all acquisitions. Now, it doesn't mean that if you were, um, whatever, whatever you possess in your in your life, that we're not talking about throwing everything out and, and go live under a bridge. But don't be attached to it. You know, don't don't make your whatever your position in it is in life. Now reflect who you are, whatever it might be, whether it's poor or rich or sick or whatever. Those are all fabricated identities, right? I got a lot of stuff going on with me, but right here, right now, this moment is meaningful and it's calm and peaceful. Well, I couldn't help but meditating how, uh, I mean, this thought comes to me, you're, how all of you have such conviction for the Dhamma. And I feel so fortunate to be a part of your Sangha because we're developing reality here. We're letting go of the things that Siddhartha is saying, get rid of them. They're killers. They'll take your whole life away. The development of dispassion, the development of cessation, and the development of unbinding, again, from what? From all views ignorant of four noble truths. The Buddha continues, if I were to teach the Dhamma, the Dhamma to others and others would not understand me, that would be tiresome for me, troublesome for me. Just then this realization never known before occurred to me. I'll dismiss te teaching that which only, sorry, I'll dismiss miss teaching that which only with great difficulty I attain. This Dhamma is not easily realized by those overcome by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. This Dhamma is difficult to understand. It's subtle, deep, contrary to common belief. That's why, mostly why it's so difficult. We think the, we think the world is real the way we're, we're perceiving it. Those delighting in passion, their minds obscured in, dark, in darkness, will not understand. These are thoughts that sort of, he's not condemning anybody to anything. These are thoughts that, that uh, Siddhartha is working through. And then this next section, he's going to reference a Brahma, the Sahampati. Um, like Mara, this is just another metaphor for what's going on in, in young Buddha's mind, young Siddhartha's mind. 
Then Brahma Sahampati became aware of my thoughts. The world is lost, destroyed. The Arahat, the rightly self-awakened one, is inclined to dwelling in ease and not teaching his Dhamma. So, the, you know, the Buddha is just going through, um, working through, does he want to go try to teach this or not? And again, Brahma, Brahma Sahampati is just a, a metaphor for what for Siddhartha's mind. Brahma Sahampati left his realm and came to me. He knelt on his right knee, bowed and said, rightly self-awakened one, teach your Dhamma, exclamation point. Please teach your Dhamma. There are those with just a little dust in their eyes. That's us, folks. They are suffering because they will not hear your Dhamma. There are those that are able to understand your Dhamma. Brahma Sahampati continued. In the past, there appeared among the Magadans an impure Dhamma or Dharma devised by the ignorant. Teach your Dhamma to end the pain of birth, sickness, aging, death. Teach your Dhamma to end sorrow, regret, distress, despair, and to end greed, aversion, and delusion. Teach your Dhamma so they can also realize the unborn and the unexcelled release of the yoke, the unbinding. Then the Buddha says, just as one standing on a high peak might see people below, you, this is Brahmasampati, I'm sorry, just as one standing on a high peak might see people below, you, the wise one with profound vision, must take your place in the palace of the Dhamma. Right, he's saying, what Buddha is saying, what the Brahmasampati is saying, you need to take ownership of this. Free from suffering. Look on those suffering, oppressed with birth and aging. You have conquered ignorance. Be a great teacher and wander without entanglements. Teach your Dhamma, there will be those who will understand. Mindful of Sahampati's plea and out of compassion for all beings, from my awakened state, fully mature state, I looked out onto the world. Right? Notice what the Buddha is saying here. Uh, it has not changed in 2,600 years. I saw beings with little dust in their eyes and beings with much. I saw uncluttered beings and dull beings. I saw beings with good qualities and beings with bad qualities. He's just, it, it's not, he's not putting anything or anybody down. He's just recognizing what's there. I looked out onto the world and I saw beings hardened in their views, disgraced in danger. I looked out onto the world and I saw those who would be easy to teach my understanding, my right view. And the Buddha says, it is as, as if a pond is permeated with red, white, and blue lotus, born and growing immersed in the water. They flourish permeated with cool water from the root to the tip, to their tip, never standing above the surface. This is the lotus he's talking about. Even so, some might rise up and emerge from the murky water. Seeing thus, I decided to teach my Dhamma to open to the world the path to cessation. Those with eyes to see and ears to hear could come forth in conviction. Remember, not faith. Those lacking the eyes to see or ears to hear the pure Dhamma, I would not teach my refined and pure Dhamma. So we don't struggle here at all. I, mean, I think the it's obvious that we don't insist that people do anything or anything. 
make strong suggestions, but we don't grapple with people, do we? It's up to everybody who comes through that door or joins online to do this for themselves. We can offer reassurance, and I do that often, all our teachers do, but we do not try to coerce or convince anybody. So that, it doesn't work. I would, put, I would teach the pure Dhamma tirelessly and untroubled. Brahma Sahampati has, is, was pleased, he bowed and disappeared. The Buddha's mind was clear. That's the end of part two. Um, again, just realize the emphasis here on the noble and the ignoble searches. We have to search where the Dhamma can be found, which is framed by the Eightfold Path, by the limiting factor of the Eightfold Path. So we don't go beyond the goals, the goal, what is it? We don't go beyond the goalposts. But this is it. This is what we practice. It's simple. Right? Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and <laughs> right concentration. And I think we all, everybody here, we're telling you, this might be, you might not agree with this right now, but I think everybody um, would agree that, that, that you understand that that limiting factor of the Eightfold Path is why it's in place. It's why we walk this path, because it stops us from going off besides going off the rails. Um, Jane, what do you think? Oh, hi, John. Thank you for the hi, teaching, Jane. and thanks to the Buddha for deciding to share his Dhamma with us. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> We're very fortunate, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> thanks, Jane. How are you, my friend Slav? Thank you, John. Hello, everybody. I'm doing well and very interesting. You know, what is keep uh, bringing me to Buddhism uh, is expression of Ipasika, come yeah. to see. And it's yeah. uh, very um, unique way. Nobody forces, nobody. You just have to realize yourself. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Hurry up, Slava, get the Dhamma, will you? <laughs> I do. Yes, sir. I'm glad you joined us tonight. Hello, Brian. Hi, John. Thanks for the teaching. Uh, that The line in there about the awakened state is hard to hard to notice, right? It's subtle. And it, it takes that concentration developed through jhana to begin to see the the clarity of the path and the, the fruit of the the effort. So again, just taking it back to the the, the major theme of of John and concentration. That's where it all resolves. So thank yeah. you. Thank you, Brian. Oh, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the teaching. Yeah, I, I I'm a little little bit uh, overwhelmed by how much is here. Um, one of the lines, like like Brian just mentioned, was that uh, it's subtle and hard uh, to grasp, but it seems to me it's subtle and hard to grasp because it's actually, we're, we're trying to make it so hard. It's actually, it's actually a release. It's actually easier than one imagines <coughs> because we're busy trying to describe it to ourselves as something difficult to do and it's actually just the opposite we're actually thank relieving you. Yep. ourselves of a burden yeah that, that's exactly right 
but it does seem difficult. But yeah, again, because our, yeah. our habitual thinking tends to make things complicated. We tend to build and build and build and make things yeah. deeper and more complicated when in fact we're we're burying ourselves as opposed to yeah. liberating ourselves. Yeah. And again, we 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 become rightly self-awakened through this this gentle but very effective path. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, Raquel, do you mind being on camera? Does anybody else mind? Good, you're going to be on camera. Wait a minute. Got to have the zoom though. What do you think, Raquel? And again, you know, nobody has to talk if you'd rather take normal silence, but we'd love to hear what you what you think about tonight's class. Yeah. I think it's thank you. Yeah. Teaching it's a lot to absorb, but it's it, it, the simplicity of uh, the path to, to follow that is attracting me to have hope that my mind one day will come into yeah. yeah. Stop thinking. Yeah, and it. it that's what that's what you're here for. That's what Dalai practice is. And if you continue, which I think you will, you'll have this. You know, this will be yours. You'll own this too. What we're talking about. You know, and it's it's just it's just a matter of time. A little effort. I'm glad you joined us tonight. Hi, Julia. Thanks for the teaching. Good evening, everyone. Um, I think this was. A one of a comment you made rather than a line from the teaching itself, but how asking questions without answers is a distraction. And I think that resonated with me and it also links with Raquel's and Jeff's comments, which is that if you're just like searching, searching, searching for that B to like uncover the treasure of awakening, right? Like it's at the end of the rainbow somewhere. I just have to yeah. concentrate hard enough or something. But I, I uh, the fact that this path is so limiting is such a treasure. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think those are, I, I'm sharing all that as a doc, but connected for me from this session. So thank you. Well, thank you. Hello, Ron. <clears throat> Thank you for part two. Um, yeah, that that line that Jeff talked about that it's it can be difficult to to see this, but the difficulty really is because we're so distracted. Yeah, um, that's it. Ending those distractions with enough concentration is, you know, once that is done, then um, this is not hard. Yeah. This, this is pretty much plain as daylight. Yeah. Thank you. When you, you think about just this particular sutta, um, Buddha 
the Buddhist humanity is revealed in the sutta. Mm. He struggled. Mm. It wasn't, you know, nobody hit him with a, in the head with a wand and he was yes. something special. He had to work at it. He had to put it in his own work. And again, to become rightly self-awakened. Yeah. We do it ourselves. Apart from the going. people, you know, the, the beings around him, I mean, nobody gave him this. This was not yeah. handed down. This was just his discovery. Yeah. And his, you know, own, his own understanding. Yeah. The, the whole story is that just before the Buddha's awakening, he nearly killed himself out of his asceticism. You know, he was he was so he was such a, a committed practitioner. Anything that he was doing, and the common belief then, as it is now, asceticism was the way to go. You keep the, denying yourself food, denying yourself water, and somehow that's going to free your mind. And with the idea is to free your mind from your body, which doesn't make sense anyway. But you know, so he did all that. Um, there's modern versions of asceticism, um, like. 10-day retreats with no speaking. That's, that's asceticism. It's denying your own humanity, your own reason for being here. In other forms, you know, uh, so not, not to get belayed by that, but the Buddha went through all these things as a human being, not as some kind of supernatural being. Going through the same things we go through. Right, Kevin? Yes, John, thank you for the teaching. <laughs> um, do we have a happy birthday to wish you today? Hey. Hey. Uh, Finally turned 40. <laughs> uh, again? <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, there was a question in the, during the talk about direct experience or direct knowledge, and, and you know that sort of ties in with this being difficult to grasp or experience. And, and we've said that the Dhamma doesn't have a time limit or a time frame, and, and when you experience cessation. It's a very personal and thing, and it's a, it's a point, know of, it. point of ultimate honesty with yourself. And, and as views rooted in ignorance start to diminish in their frequency or become the volume is less of them in a way, you know, it, it's it's just uh, being at ease, as we say. You know, you're you're you're, you're in the world. You notice the calm, and you practice for calm and you notice when your mind is agitated and once it happens it's it's happening in here and yeah. that's that's where it's going on for for good pretty much so you come to be become familiar with it so thanks thank you kevin yeah everything that happens in our life happens in our minds i mean that's how human beings are so it's up to us what kind of story we're going to tell ourselves right david Whenever I hear this sutta, uh, my mind always goes back to the Kalamas. Yeah. And, like, how do you know that this one is correct? And how do you know that the thing that you were so committed to six months ago isn't right? Yeah. And that confusion, and you hope that this works, but that's where Seiko, as Kevin said, you'll start experiencing it and you'll know if it's not and you have to be honest with yourself are you developing your practice within the, these boundaries yeah. and it's not a limiting boundary where it's denial of things it's to help you develop so you know i think when the kalamas finally got a hold of the buddha 
think they recognized. And there's some that had just a little dust. So that's how I always think of us. Yeah, that's right. I like how that souped out. It's like the hearts and minds that were there, or whatever. It's the hearts and minds were lifted up or something. Mm -hmm. Here's Maddie. I gotta do that at least one. Da, da, da. Thanks, teaching again. Thanks, Sandra. Um, really good to hear what everyone said tonight. Um, I don't have anything to add. Left this speechless. <laughs> Thank you, man. I remember to turn this back on myself. So. Well, uh, the concluding part of the Arya Paria Sanasutra will be Saturday, so I hope you can all join. Um, if not, you know, I'll post the, the uh, recording uh, shortly thereafter, as with today. But last week's, um, the first part of this has been posted, and it's in the, on the website and in the podcast. Does anybody else have any questions, comments? Okay. We'll finish as we usually do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karani and Metta Sutta, describing the qualities of an awakened, fully mature human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented, and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to depths. <coughs> outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful day tonight. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jane. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday, John. Thank you, Slav. I'll see you soon. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.